Welcome back to Well, That's Interesting. Uh, the waiting for your neighbor to stop scraping their walls so you can record in peace edition. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that has been our reality for the last uh, 45 minutes slash two days. <laughs> that's right. Is there any wall left to scrape, you guys? Yeah. For those who don't know, we are uh, in a New York City apartment, so we're surrounded. Uh, and the person to our right, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I don't know what they're doing, but they're scraping as though maybe they need help. But don't look at me. No, no. <laughs> I'm worried. I think they're going to scrape right on through. I think we're going to meet them soon. Uh, no, they can't. It's uh, it's COVID times. You're not, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> Who knows? They might break the rules. No. Give us a rat. Give us a big rat instead. I would much rather have a rat then meet my neighbor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least a, a rat isn't going to like try to make small talk with you. Yes. That's right. <laughs> the last thing in the world I want to do is have a conversation with a stranger. I've yeah. gotten like really into not doing that. Right. It's been the, it's been one of those few small gifts of COVID. Yeah. The silver linings is not really no, talking to no people. Small talk. Yeah, it's great. And uh yeah, I feel like if we ran into a rat, uh we could continue yeah. Keeping to that pleasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, they wouldn't fuck it up. But yeah, but if our neighbors pop through, any second uh, now, I swear to we God. we to deal with that shit? Okay. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> Today's episode, uh, it's actually a very special in-betweeny. Uh, yeah. It includes our first fan pick. Fuck. <laughs> yes! <laughs> That's right. Uh, the first half of our show, the first half is uh, in thanks to Brittany on Twitter at Lions and Gold. She tweeted, quote, I listened to so many episodes already. Love your energy. Uh, then want to say what then went on to say. I'm so excited. I can't even speak. Oh, neither can I. <laughs> then they went on to say, quote, also, I have a recommendation. If you haven't heard of the time, the small town of Vulcan, West Virginia, asked the Soviet Union for aid building a bridge. It's a pretty interesting story. End quote. And fuck yeah, that's interesting. Fuck yeah, that's interesting. And also, fuck yeah, Brittany. You're, right. you're the best. You would never scratch your way through the wall. No. I am positive. You're not that person. I feel like you're really nice. Yeah. And uh, Just the goddamn best. And wouldn't make a ton of noise <laughs> next right. door. Also, you made an awesome recommendation. Yeah. I did not hear about this ever. And uh, as soon as you tweeted it, I'm like, we are so doing that. Fuck so, yeah. in betweeny, 022, need a bridge? Call the Soviets. And what if you floated away in a spacesuit? Oh, that is horrifying. <laughs> we had to do something, you know, weird. Of weird, course. Weird. Oh, oh this, yeah. this, everything is this, everything is fantastic. Uh, so, please stay with us for both halves of in betweeny 022. So, uh, also, yeah, so thank you. You, Brittany, for the suggestion and for listening. And if anyone wants to submit a recommendation or whatever, yeah. if you want us to cover something, you could tweet us at WTI underscore pod or email us. And what's our email address? Oh, it is well, that's interesting pod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. That's right. DM us. Well, that's, that's interesting is well, that's interesting pod. That's or is it. it well, that's interesting. Well, that's interesting pod. Well, that's interesting don't forget pod the, on Instagram. That's right. Don't forget that POD. Don't forget that POD. That's right. Uh, so you could request something or just like write the facts in your own voice so we could read them and do like listener tales. Yeah. 
like we can like do whole episodes on that. So, uh, should we begin? We shall. All right, let's get into it. And to get into it, I mean our time machine. Oh, here we go. That's right. Snuggle in. We're heading to the magnificent mid nineteen seventies. Fuck yeah! <laughs> That's right. To a very small community in West Virginia. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> And a stone's throw away from its neighboring state, Kentucky. Cool. Uh, Now, when I say small, I mean it. Uh, At this time, there were about 50 families which lived in Vulcan, West Virginia. Uh, This unincorporated community sits right on the shores of the big... The big? The big Sandy River? Sorry. Uh, It sits right on the shores of Big Sandy River, which looks exactly as it's named. um, And it separates the two states. Uh, unfortunately, Vulcan was not named after the humanoid species in spa- uh, Star Trek. Damn it. Uh, I know. It's named after the god of fire in Roman mythology, and the people of this little town live up to the fiery spirit. Uh, now, to be unincorporated, that means you really got to take care, like personal control of all your day-to-day things. There is no local government, no elected officials, and, quote, you likely have your own septic system, your own well water, your own trash valet, private ambulance services, yeah, and volunteer firefighters, end quote. Wow, what a life. Yeah, and that's from Duke Human Rights Center. Uh, Now, being only a town of 50 families, this was kind of manageable until you need the bigger stuff, like a bridge. (laughs) But before we get into that, we need to talk a little more about Vulcan. Uh, whose residents, or a majority of them, uh, worked just over the river in Kentucky for a coal mining company. Now, that mining company was, air quotes, kind enough to provide a wooden br- uh, footbridge to cross the river, and the people of Vulcan added planks so cars and commercial trucks could uh, make the shortcuts. You guys, <laughs> you guys, let's pause for a second. <laughs> so I just imagine they're driving over like a toy bridge. I'm going to show you a photo. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm so worried. Vulcan! And to take this shortcut in a vehicle, according to the 1978 New York Times article, Stranded Mining Town Awaits Bridge, quote, to do so took courage at the wheel, for there was no more than a thumb's length margin for error on either side. Oh, my God. End quote. Um, As though symbolic of the state Vulcan was in, the wooden bridge collapsed in 1975, along with the mining company, and that's because the coal dried up. Um, would you like to see the collapsed footbridge? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> I think this really sets the mood. Now, would you like to describe said footbridge? I mean, <laughs> there's just not much to begin with, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Um yep. I have no idea how a car even got on this thing in the first place. It It's a fucking footbridge. I don't yeah. know how else to describe it. It's going across a river. The middle is gone. Yeah. And fallen. It looks and, like someone took a big old bite out of it. Yeah. And just the, the, I can't even wrap my head around the fact that a car ever fit on this tiny rickety thing. Uh-huh. Looks like something someone's uncle built. <laughs> You know, and you know how the, he wasn't—he shouldn't have done that. No, you know, he he's was not qualified. Drunk. That's right. He was drunk and not qualified, yeah. and um, no one asked him to do it. He just needed something to do because right. he was retired. There you go. Yeah. So this bridge looks like the people of Vulcan felt. Um, 
John Robinette had to work a number of jobs on top of taking care of all those day-to-day things that makes a town function. Uh, John was a car mechanic, a notary public, and at the time of the collapse, he was bartender at Vulcan's only operational business, the Shenandoah. Fuck yeah. Uh, the last straw for John was when he heard about his neighbor, Nellie Holly. Uh, she treated herself to new furniture, but when the trucker approached the town of Vulcan, the only way in was to trespass. What? Uh, yeah. Well, the one road into Vulcan was a roundabout gravel path that ran two miles out of the way, like parallel to railroad tracks. All of this was owned by a company called Norfolk and Western Railway. So the delivery guy had to make a choice. Should he risk getting caught somewhere along this two-mile road, which again was a path, and it was smushed like between a railroad, like a railroad and a river. <laughs> so like, no, he's 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 like, no, no, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. Yeah. So this motivated John to take action. Uh, would you like to read further from that 1978 New York Times article? I would love to. Okay. Quote. So I up and appointed myself mayor. <laughs> Uh, okay, let me, let me do this again. Uh, so I up and appointed myself mayor and set out to get us a bridge, Mr. Robinette recalls. There was Miss Holly, 74 years old, having to hire herself a boy to go fetch a few sticks of furniture and haul it on back against the law on railroad property. Private property. Um, end quote. <laughs> I love everything about this. Yeah. I also love the phrase up and appointed. <laughs> I up and appointed myself I'm, mayor. I'm going to up and appoint myself a bunch of shit. I have to adopt that. I, <laughs> I'm stealing that. I, I'm going to up and appoint myself. Um, I, I don't know what, but I am going to use that phrase a lot yeah. this week. And it's going to be really annoying. <laughs> I might have to be a t-shirt. It might have to be. I might have to stick that in the merch store and that one day get my ass (laughs) together. (laughs) Okay. So uh, for over a year, the now Mayor John reached out to the state officials where he was met with dead silence or the usual runaround. Uh, Until one fateful day, John was making calls from the post office because that's where the phones were. Oh, my God. (laughs) He got in touch with then Governor Arch Moore. Quote, there was about nine of us there, recalls Phyllis Bla- Black- Blankenship. Blankenship. Blankenship, who runs the 16-box post office in Vulcan. He got on the phone right there in front of us and said, I want that bridge built immediately. He probably was calling the next room for all I know. And <laughs> so, uh, turns out John was on the phone with the governor and had a conversation where it dawned on him. The state was not interested in spending money on a project for such a small town. Damn. Uh, slided by companies and now their government, the people of Vulcan were pissed. Yeah. And Mayor John started to think like a politician. He needed to do something splashy. And the splashiest thing to do in the late 70s was... Yes, you guessed it. Cocaine? Yes. And clearly he's on cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) And use the Cold War to your advantage. Ah, got it. So John sent two letters by registered mail to the Soviet Union. Um, Now, the New York Times reports that there was no response. But would you like to read what John told the Osala Star Banner in a 1980 interview? I would love to. Yeah. Okay, quote, the Russians said they would keep an eye on the bridge and see if it were built. If not, 
they would. There you go. And there we right. go. There we go. Um, now that may be bullshit, yep. but it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it is certainly ballsy to claim Soviets were more willing to help struggling Americans rather than eagle-loving Freedom Fries America itself. Uh, newspapers ate up the story. Newspapers as far as a weekly publication in Moscow, uh, Litera Ternova Gazeta was one such paper. And one of their journalists actually traveled to West Virginia from New York to cover the scandal personally. Fun. Um, (laughs) Yeah, road trip. Now, having a Russian right there in West Virginia may have turned the tide. Um, In 1977, a $1.3 million contract for a bridge was written up. But after two years of nothing, some residents were skeptical. Uh, Please do the honors of reading. From the New York Times. I would love to. All right. Quote, I ain't holding my breath for any of it, says Polly Harley, who is 95 years old and was around when the first bridge was built. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, I tell you one thing about the uh, I tell you one thing about the whole shebang. Uh, Mr. John Robinette said, uh, we're not your Beverly Hillbillies, Hatfield McCoys type stupid people (laughs) every one of us will just wait and see on the bridge we're all just waiting to see what happens and Mm -hmm. quote thank you for sticking with me yeah as i struggled through that one i hope i hope it was clear yeah you, you, what uh, they were saying. you bottle that essence, don't worry. There we go. There you go. So what did happen? Well, bad weather held up the project for another two years. But finally, at the end of 1979, the finishing touches of the Vulcan Bridge were complete. And would you like to see Vulcan Bridge in all its grandeur? Oh, my God, of course. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to, you didn't ask me, but I am going to tell our listeners about uh, Vulcan Bridge. It's the most boring bridge I've ever seen. It's solid concrete. Um, It's in some trees. But you know what? Mm -hmm. You know what's great about it? It looks like you can drive a car on it. Unlike the first bridge that looked like it couldn't even carry anyone over the age of four. Right. (laughs) That other bridge had a weight limit of 60 pounds. Like this... Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, carry, this can carry, like, I would say, at least two cars. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and more than one at a time. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's not push it, you know. <laughs> it ain't, you know, it ain't much. But when it was completed, John told the Osala Star Banner, quote, I just pulled to the side of the road and cried. Aww. End quote. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, see, yeah, connection is a big thing. And after the break... We're going to talk about what happens, say, if you float away from the International Space Station. Oh, shit. Stay tuned. Please do. And we're back. We are so back. We're so back and so excited to do this episode that uh, I forgot to introduce the amazing Marissa Riley. Oh, my God. Thank you. (laughs) I was so excited I didn't even notice. (laughs) And I also forgot to introduce the amazing Jill Chacha. That's right. Both amazing that was an amazing story. Thank you again to Brittany. Fuck for yeah, Brittany. You're bringing the best. Bringing that up. Uh, outstanding. Again, if anybody wants to suggest one, at WTI underscore pod on Twitter or DM us on Instagram. Well, that's interesting pod. Yep. Or email us. Yeah. Well, that's interesting pod at gmail.com. There you go. Let's do it. Bam. All right. And let's uh, continue on. Let's continue uh, to 
Oh, some more modern times. 2006. How does okay. that sound? That sounds okay. Okay. It's 2006, and we're just outside the doors of the International Space Station. All right. Uh, February 3rd, 2006, actually, to be exact. Uh, Commander Bill MacArthur and flight engineer Valerie Takarev donned their spacesuits for a spacewalk. Okay. And with them was a third suit. All right. And the suit went by many loving names. Uh, Mr. Smith, Ivan Ivanovich, Radio Skaff, Radio Sputnik, for example. But the official name was Suitset One. And Suitset, while on a live feed broadcasted by NASA TV, Suitset was just simply released. And would you like to see a photo of Suitset on its noble journey to nowhere? I would love to, but I would also like to quickly clarify. Yeah. We are releasing a suit... With lots of amazing nicknames, mm-hmm. but no person inside. No, oh, I should, yes. Into the universe. <laughs> yes, that's a good, its own. good clarification. Yes, there's no one in the suit, many names, um, nobody in it, and we'll talk about why. What a metaphor. <laughs> Are we all just shells? <laughs> Are we all just suit sets floating <laughs> in the universe? Uh, would you like to see this empty shell? Yes. Against... The blackness of space. Now, here's one photo. All right. Um, this is a. This is quite a photo. Yeah. Uh, it makes me feel very small mm-hmm. uh, because it is, in fact, the picture of a, a space station. Mm-hmm. But right outside of the space station, floating lifelessly, yeah. is fucking suit set. Yeah. It's the suit. Mm-hmm. It's an empty suit floating alone. It looks scary as fuck. It looks poignant as fuck. Yeah. I'm still not 100% sure what that word means. <laughs> but I feel like now is the time to use it. Um, well, you know what? Dust off that word one more time because I, I got another photo for you. All right. And it's even right. better than this one. Uh, both photos will be on our Instagram at Well That's Interesting Pod. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's a, this, this. That does it. This makes me feel... A lot and nothing at the same time. Does that make any sense? That's what art does. (laughs) Like, I never thought I would say this, but I feel very inclined to write a poem right now. Mm. I'm not going to because I really care about you as well as the listeners. Thank you. But (laughs) this is a photo of uh, the earth, Mm -hmm. but also floating right outside of the earth in the biggest blackest most empty universe is this tiny tiny empty mm-hmm. uh spacesuit and it, it it looks very daunting yeah and uh it's kind of stressing me out not gonna <laughs> lie but it's it's a gorgeous photo i really like yeah. it um so the experiment was a simple one uh quoting from popside.com the plan was to set the suit loose and let it run out its internal batteries while broadcasting a status signal to earth The test would answer questions like, would the suit overheat with its cooling systems turned off? Would it transmit clearly while tumbling end over end in orbit? And would the batteries last longer with the life support button, like, off, like, shut down? Got it. Yeah, yeah. So, simply put, what happens out there and for how long? Um, So, let's talk about Mr. Smith for a moment, uh, our suit set. Now, it was a retired Russian Orlin space suit, uh, an Orlin D model. Nice. It was, <laughs> that sounds nice. <laughs> a very nice suit. 
Uh, it was first worn uh, for a spacewalk on December 20th, 1977. Ah, she's uh, vintage. Mm-hmm. And it had a great run and a very important one. This model was on board both the MER station and the International Space Station uh, with some modifications. In sum, this 238-pound suit can keep you spacewalking for a good seven Earth hours. Wow. Now, each suit has about a four-year operational lifespan, but Sergei Semburov, a Russian partner in the International Space Station, uh, he had a brilliant idea. What if we turn one of the older unused suits into a useful satellite, a suit set? Ah, I got it, I got it. So if we're going to throw it away, we might as well throw it into space and see what happens, which is my kind of plan. Sure. There you go. Why not? Now, the spacesuit was outfitted with three batteries and a transmitter that would continually broadcast suit data, uh, suit data, sorry, uh, mission time, suit temperature, battery voltage, and adorably voice messages recorded by the teams involved and students from around the globe in a multitude of languages. Aww. That's right. So what were these messages? Uh, quoting NASA.gov's mission page, quote, the transmissions begin, this is SuitSat 1, RS, 0RS, followed by a pre-recorded greeting in five languages. The greetings contained special words in English, French, Japanese, Russian, German, and Spanish for students to record and decipher. Awards will be given to students who do this. Those that hear SuitSat should send their signal reports with a large self-addressed self-addressed stamped envelope to one of the addresses listed below, end uh, quote. <laughs> I love this. This is the cutest thing in the world. It is. I mean, uh, NASA and the International Space Station opened up the project to the world, and anyone with a radio can tune in and listen. Uh, the transmission was broadcasted at 145.990 megahertz FM, you know, the classics. Yeah. Um, and if you caught it, you can log an entry on the tracker at suitsat.org, where you would enter where and when you heard Mr. Smith. So we could, in theory, do this right now. I yes. mean, not right now on the podcast, but later. And we can, like... We can be a part of the project. You can, uh, well, or not we'll be a part of the project. Oh, okay, okay. We'll, we'll get, we'll get to it. Okay, uh, okay, but okay. At the in two thousand six, yeah. Uh, oh, that's could, right. Yeah. This was a long time ago. <laughs> that's okay. You were just this. <laughs> I mean, the smile on your face. It was heartbreaking to tell you that this was in the past. This makes me feel like the first time uh, when I was a kid, my mom showed me a video of Elvis. Yeah. And I didn't know how that the like I didn't understand the concept of time. Yeah. And I was like, can we go see Elvis in concert? And oh, she was so like, no, <laughs> sorry, he died. <laughs> and that was how I learned what death was. Wow. So, well, well, that got dark very fast. <laughs> Let's get back to Elvis. Elvis is just. <laughs> Thanks, Elvis. <laughs> he's just floating. He's floating out in space somewhere. Just you know, I guess I don't know. I'm just probably. Trying to make- <laughs> Floating somewhere. (laughs) Where the hell are we? Okay, MrSmithSuitSat.org. So getting kicked off the International Space Station, the suit became trapped in the Earth's gravitational pull, and its orbit began. And unfortunately, ended quickly, or rather fortunately, say, if we're you. Um, So after two trips around the Earth at approximately at the speed of 17,000 miles per hour or so, the suit's batteries died out, and the signal to ham radio enthusiasts, which already began faintly, grew fainter. Oh, Um, man. I know. 
The last official transmission was recorded on February 18th, and in those two weeks, nearly 3,500 messages were sent, recorded, and shared. Aww. Lonely Mr. Smith brought a lot of people together. And cooler still, uh, researchers expected Mr. Smith to break out of its low orbit and burn up in about three to six weeks. But it wasn't until September, seventh mo- seven months later, Suitsat re-entered the Earth's atmosphere in a fireball over the Southern Ocean. Uh, what pieces didn't burn up landed somewhere 900 miles south of Western Australia. Wow! Yeah. So in the end, Mr. Smith told us something I think we all know deep down. You need a better battery. You do. <laughs> something rechargeable, one that can withstand the chill of space and its radiation, and the near constant spinning. Um, all things that possibly ended Suitsat's communications. And I hope someone's working on that because it's not me. Yeah, iPhone. <laughs> Get it fucking together. Right. I am so tired of these shitty fucking batteries. You leave the house and it's dead. <laughs> what are we even doing? You give us the gift of everything on a small block and it dies in an hour? There you go. Fuck that. I made that so about me. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, you know, suit set. I love suit set. Lasted about two orbits around the Earth. Pretty good. That was a good run. And then just floating out there for seven months. Aww. So... Uh, and that is the end of In Betweeny 022. I love it. I learned so much today. There you go. Everything and nothing. Everything that's what the show does. And nothing. You see everything and nothing. I feel everything and nothing. So email us, tweet us, DM us, and stay interesting. Please do.